tired of ads crashing your comedy podcast party. Good news. Ad-free listening on Amazon Music is included with your Prime membership. Just head to amazon.com slash ad-free comedy to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Enjoy thousands of ACAST shows ad-free for Prime subscribers. Some shows may have ads. This is My Kind of Weird, a podcast where two people swap and pitch three kinds of media, something watchable, something readable, and something listenable, to see if each person at the end of the pod says that's my kind of weird. I'm your host, Anthony Pollock, and joining me today is transgressive Aussie fiction writer, Garth Jones. Garth. G'day, Anthony. How are you? Good, mate. Good. Are you ready to get weird with me? I reckon I am. Yeah, let's do it. All right, present your something watchable. Something watchable. I came up with uh, the collective art collective Soda Jerks Terra Nullius, which was released in 2018. Greetings from the humongous, the Lord humongous, the warrior of the wasteland, the Ayatollah of rock and roller. Whilst this is a humanitarian, decent country, we are not a soft touch and we are not a nation whose sovereign rights in relation to who comes here are going to be trampled on. To great controversy, uh, it's a... Essentially, it's a tapestry of footage from Australian film history, Ausploitation mainly, uh, woven into the uh, politics of the era, uh, which have only gotten worse since 2018. So this is a this is a better forty five minute work uh, that embraces eco terror uh, and places figures like Tony Abbott, Pauline Hanson, uh, for the international listeners, these are all right wing bastards, uh, mm. into the mizzen scene of various prominent Australian films from over the last forty or fifty years. It's very satisfying. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't get a chance to check it out, but it's um, it sounds interesting as well. Like, I mean, the the part political satire, the eco horror. Oh man, it's just um, it looks in, looks impressive. What would you? I mean, there's so many great actors that. Uh, was it? How is it actually delivered? That's that's the part I didn't quite understand. Is it part documentary, part? It's a um, it's a mashup essentially. It's a remix okay. of the various films. Uh, these guys head into After Effects and they key out uh, individual characters and then introduce them into other parts of like narratives to build their own story. And this one's essentially like a uh, eco terror revenge film with uh, Skippy going after basically the colonial. Uh, oppressors and murdering them one by one <laughs> uh, and at the time it was uh the ian potter center in melbourne uh actually financed it to the tune of about 150 grand i think but then they saw the final work and decided it was too controversial to actually <laughs> endorse uh it did end up i think i first saw it at acme in melbourne and it's done the round since then and now it's available on vimeo for about seven bucks so you can check it out there yeah, right, right, right. Um, well, what's the part of it that's controversial? Uh, the politics. The conservative arts organisation just, yeah, turned around. And, you know, uh, what were they, right. what were they yeah. expecting? Like, you know, Soda Jerk have made a career out of this stuff. 
uh, you know, they've been around for the better part of two decades now. And mm. yeah, for the organisation to turn around and realise that what they'd funded uh, may not have fit uh, with their very conservative art world views, pretty surprising. <laughs> it's kind of like do you research on the filmmaker? Well, they should have known well in advance. You know, all the work's out there. Uh, it would have been a board, <laughs> I guess, that just, you know, would have <laughs> hand-waved it through and then at the end stared with abject terror at <laughs> what they were delivered. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, what I like about it is it's um, it's kind of like a it's like a smorgasbord of um, Australian public figures when you look at the when you actually search it on Google it's got Steve Irwin is mentioned as the cast uh, Paul Hogan yep. Barry Humphreys Hannah Gadsby which I I find her hilarious even David Goldpill um, that's fantastic awesome um, and you've got you know John Howard makes an appearance as the bad guy from uh, Mad Max Two the Road Warrior. Everyone's guns at the <laughs> uh, they've dubbed his um uh, I think it's from memory it's the uh, we'll choose who comes to this country and by what circumstances um anti-refugee uh, speech mm. and yeah they've dubbed it in over the over uh, the that classic scene set out near Broken Hill. <laughs> Just where you hail from. Mm-hmm. All too familiar. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So my something watchable is Werewolf by Night. This Halloween, you can't escape the shock, the terror of Werewolf by Night. Tonight, it is every hunter for themselves. Good luck. I'll be rotting for you but one of you is a monster masquerading as one of our own which originally was a comic book run in the i believe it was the early 70s uh by marvel comics which has been adapted into this hour-long awesome Film uh, and probably, in my opinion, the best film that's a, that has come out of Marvel Studios and Disney in a very, very long time. It's, Concur. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they found a way to sort of modernize. Well, not sort of. They found a way to modernize the original story, but also make it uh, a bit fun. That also uh, sort of played into, I guess, the the sort of comedic sensibility of Marvel audiences now, which we just can't seem to get away from. Thankfully <laughs> it's not a it's not a Thor, you know, a latest Thor film, which is great. Mm-hmm. It's none of that stupid humor. We don't see uh, any werewolf cock throughout the um uh, the, <laughs> the film. But, to some people's disappointment, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's, an, there's an audience for there's an audience for that. And maybe but, in a decade, Marvel will get to the furries and uh, <laughs> <laughs> when they've scraped the rest of the barrel. Uh, what I loved about it, though, is um, my man, uh, Man Thing, rocked up in the film, and that was uh, amazing. The Aussie, Ted, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm a huge uh, Man Thing fan, and to see them actually get the character right, to see them actually get the the power set that that character has right as well, how he can burn people alive. Can you explain to me how the Man Thing, what the Man Thing's background is? Because I'm more of a Swamp Thing guy, so 
Yeah, so it's kind of it's similar, um, but he's more sort of he's uh, it, quite similar to Swamp Thing. He's got the sort of the main differences are he is sort of a swamp based creature, but more supernatural, like way more right. supernatural than what um, Swamp Thing is. Swamp like, Thing is more elemental. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. He. Can he uses people's fear? Like if someone's afraid, he can use their fear against them. He, uh, in various iterations of the comics, he's been able to use their fear to burn them alive, or if they're if they've got some kind of deep desire that they're afraid of, he can use, and that they've committed some kind of sin, he can use it to pretty much torture them alive. Um, uh, and it's it's lots of fun. Um. And it really subverted my expectations because the whole time you're thinking, "Oh, the monster—that's that they've um, the the you know the werewolf is the monster," but it subverted my expectations completely by having Man Thing as the monster. Yes, uh, I I did wonder: are, are any of the hunters actually based on actual Marvel characters from that sort of Spirits of Vengeance, Midnight Sun sort of era, or are they just completely new uh, concoctions for the film? I haven't dived that deep, to be perfectly honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> I did a quick, I had a quick Google I thought there's a few names that sort of sounded familiar, but they're not direct actual Marvel characters, and I, I, which I, you know, wondered might have been the case because they had some pretty cool distinct looks there as well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, maybe. Um, uh, but they could just could have just been based on existing characters yeah. that have been in the comics per, perhaps. But, yeah, it's dark. I liked the the usage of black and white with the exception of the, the jewel that they're constantly, everyone's trying to possess. And then another have, bloody stone. Yeah, <laughs> yeah another bloody stone. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it was, it was lots of fun. Um, what did you think of it? Uh, yeah, I came in uh, like you, uh, having grown extremely tired and exhausted by the last, I mean, I've, Tell myself every time I won't see them in the cinema, and I think after Thor: Love and Thunder, I'm going to stick to it <laughs> uh, <laughs> because the diminishing returns of the as they've sort of moved away from the first three phases of Marvel have left me pretty gun shy. Doctor Strange, you know how what how what a waste of Sam Raimi that was. Oh yeah, uh, but this you know this I feel like you know now we're sort of seeking to the you know the supernatural monster end of the marvel universe and the fact they've sort of gone for the hammer horror sort of aesthetic here and you know some of that level of camp as well i really really enjoyed it Mm -hmm. uh a little bit disappointed we didn't get some hints of blade or some other uh you know the the supernatural characters they've got coming up and yeah it'll be i'm sort of not worried but a little bit hesitant about the idea of a pg-13 blade after wesley snipes's version but I think overall, yeah, it will be a, it's a, yeah, this is a refreshing return to form for them. Yeah, definitely. I just hope they, they um, should, but perhaps embrace these shorter formats and, you know, be a bit more, you know, uh, adventurous with this sort of stuff instead of the constant CGI battering that we're getting on the big screen. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's plenty of CGI in this, but I didn't mind it. I, I wonder if there was a bit of physical effects going on um, because I uh, actually did, didn't mind it. I believe they did the Wolfman practical. Yeah, that was yeah. I mean, that costume was very sort of tactile. That was a. I think he was just in makeup, which is a bit of a departure for them. Uh, but yeah, the man thing obviously was uh, CG and some costume elements. I think from what I quickly read. 
Yeah, yeah. I I'm pretty sure I saw a a thing online somewhere, maybe Instagram, where someone actually designed the look of that particular man thing. I wonder if they it actually was a a search that maybe they um, added CGI in mm-hmm. after the mix. Yeah, 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 in post yeah, or something yeah. like that. And I mean, yeah, obviously the use of music too is quite amazing. Uh, the composer Michael Giacchino. Oh yeah. But he sort of yeah. took over directing reins as well. And, you know, his use of music obviously is top notch when it came to his, you know, approach to directing everything too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, yeah. I, I was all in. All in. Yeah. All in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right. Uh, Garth, present your something readable. Readable. Ah, well, so we're going to go back about 40 years uh, to pre Song of Ice and Fire, pre Beauty and the Beast, pre Live Journal. Uh, Maestro George R. R. Martin's Armageddon Rag, which came out in 83. Uh, and I guess it's right around the middle of the Satanic Panic year or two. Uh, and it's a book about <laughs> a flat, a journalist who was around in the 60s who's become jaded by the commercial rock scene of the early 80s, who gets ends up entangled with a band called Nazgul. Uh, He's going all in with this Lord of the Ring references here, and a plot to to have perform an occult ritual and bring back a demon that's going to enslave humanity. Basically, good old fashioned uh, occult rock and roll uh, fun from George, and this one absolutely bombed commercially, <laughs> uh, and led him to actually quit uh, writing for, for the. For, writing novels for uh, most of the 80s when he disappeared off to do TV instead. Yeah, right. Uh, I read this about 18 months ago when I was going through, I was doing a lot of research for uh, finalising homebrewed vampire bullets. And this is a very, you know, serious um, straight ahead take on the concepts uh, of, you know, the the band that's got the undead lead singer and the unscrupulous manager that's, uh, you know, warlock that's manipulating everyone. Uh, yeah, all the all the tropes are in there, and it's. I, I found it to be a yeah a real blast. Mm. I'm guessing uh, you know, I've had a chance to read it. <laughs> no, no, I haven't had a chance to read it, but I think I'm going to make the time definitely. Um, uh, I could absolutely see an adaptation working. Uh, you know, sort of a mid budget, you know, Netflix thing. It would be a lot of fun. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, side note: there actually is a black metal band called Nazgul, but um, that's. <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> That's a whole, that's a whole other thing entirely. Um, uh, but this is yeah, this is George well before he started the Song of Ice and Fire, and I think you should do yourself a favour and look up George's outfits from this era too, because he hasn't gone to the rotund train driver's phase yet. He's more sort of like <laughs> a, he, he's got some a pretty spectacular skullet, and uh, yeah, he's rocking tight <laughs> pants and tight tight t shirts for a man with his build. <laughs> Oh man, I've got to check that out. Um, yes, uh, I mean it's lead singer Patrick Henry Hobbit Hobbins. Hobbit, the Hobbins, yeah, gets yeah. M- mysteriously murdered during a concert. <laughs> I believe it's actually he's actually shot too. <laughs> mm-hmm. I wonder if like Las Vegas, two thousand nineteen, there, two thousand eighteen. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, wow. Um, 
Well, uh, my something readable is Oblivion, which is by uh, Robert Kirkman and uh, Lorenzo Di Felici. Um, had to look at the physical copy just then because uh, <laughs> completely forgotten. So it's um, set in a fairly new, uh, well, it's fairly recent uh, or modern sort of story where a decade ago 300,000 citizens of Philadelphia are lost in this place called Oblivion, which is this uh, alternate dimension which has all sorts of various arrays and displays of uh, kaiju, which is all sorts of fun. The premise of the story is that and... uh, Nathan Cole, who's sort of this uh, like scientist slash scavenger, which keeps making daily trips into the um, into oblivion to find his brother who has been missing in Philadelphia for forever. So it, um, it kind of plays on one hand, he there's normal everyday society, and then on the other hand, uh, there's sort of this post-apocalyptic uh, dimension, if you will. Um, I don't, I'm trying to remember how it ends. I believe it sort of ends, uh, the first volume anyway, ends with, uh, him, what actually happens? Does he find his brother? Is that the? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. He actually finds his, yeah, he finds his brother right at the end. Um, and they get separated, uh, when he brings his brother back to sort of the normal, uh, normal uh, uh, normal world, but um, it, it's great. Um, I mean, it sort of the art is very. I mean, we talked on Instagram about this, but the art yeah. is very Mike Manola, uh, very, very much so. Um, I'd be surprised if Lorenzo Di Felici um isn't inspired by him. At least sort the, of uh, BPRD books as well. There's lots of yeah that that sort of DNA in there. Yeah, yeah, hundred uh, percent. I mean, I don't know much about his back backstory, De Felucci's, but uh, I mean, it's uh, it's incredible. Uh, the art is very, um, it it's very uh, um, science fantasy um, in its approach. Um, it's yeah, very, the, te- but- the techno organic stuff is really yeah really interesting. Yeah. Uh, I initially thought I didn't twig in the first uh, couple of issues that the people who'd been trapped in Phil- in the uh, Oblivion version of Philadelphia had been making their clothes from the kaiju. Mm. Initially, I thought they were mutating into into them. Like, there's some really beautiful concepts that he's come up with in the, in some of this. Yeah, and 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 as you, I'll admit, I've gotten through the first three volumes now. Have you? And yeah, I, I bought the first three volumes, <laughs> so I've read them all. Yeah, so and um, he's you know the, the the he turns the corner into some really quite stunning uh, architectural illustrations too as he as we move through the series. It's uh, it's exceptional, and even sort of the the uh, the concept of the reason it's called Oblivion Song. It's mentioned in the first volume is because that uh, when someone is in oblivion, there's sort of this sort of quiet calm when everything gets still, and you can actually hear like uh, like the atmosphere has its own sounds and tempers and things like that. So you can actually hear like. I guess the writhing of the different alien sort of architecture and um, yes, flora yeah. and fauna um, is just an absolute beautiful concept. Beautifully realised, really beautifully realised. Uh, and it's being made into a film, I believe. Has it? Oh, it is? It's about, it's, uh, yeah, I, I was just reading earlier, yeah, there's going to be an adaptation. He's just managed to sell it in. So 
Yeah, right. I hope they do it right because I feel like this is such a great concept that um uh it could be ruined quite easily. Mm. Um, I feel like uh yeah, there are when they do an adaptation, if it fails, it, it can really sour the experience. But um, yeah. So is it thirty six issues and done? Yeah, it's over. Yeah. Yeah. So is it actually done as of now, or is it still finishing up? Um, I think it's done as of now. Oh, okay, cool. All right. So I've got a bit it's more not, It's close to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. It's, uh, I think it's six volumes, maybe. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yeah. So they, and they have time jumps and things like that too. So there's sort of a very sort of, uh, distinct stories within those six volumes that then sort of move forward in, into the narrative during each yeah. volume as far as I can say. Yeah. Yeah. So there's that, um, so they're sort of doing the jumps backwards and forwards are kind of being done as a sort of ragtag operation in the first volume and then it moves on to uh, once the spoilers, one of the characters ends up being put in prison, uh, mm. he gets out of prison then realises, uh, Nathan, the character, realises that his ragtag operation has actually been made official by the government and then it yes. sort of, yeah, progresses that way. It, it um, It's got a lot of consistent rug pulls in terms of the expectations of the story. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and he's found um, Kirkman's found a n- nice little way to look uh, to do those time jumps, you know, backwards to show what actually happened when Oblivion first got pulled into our reality. Um, he appropriately times those as well. They're not in a, uh, I guess, a inappropriate point in the in the overall story. It, it's, it, I mean, I think the writing is better than The Walking Dead, personally. <laughs> I have to admit, I was wary when you did mention it was, it was a Kirkman title, but yeah, I came away feeling, yeah, like the character work was pretty great. Um, yeah, uh, the expectations constantly sort of, you know, he shifts left when you think he's going to go right. There's some, yeah, yeah, it's a, it definitely uh, exceeded my expectations by a long shot. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, Garth presents your something listenable. So, uh, this could almost be off the back of the George R. R. Martin. Uh, there's a band called <laughs> Sorcery from the late 70s. And they've got a immaculately tendered Wikipedia. It's probably about 7,000 words long. It's obviously one of the members. Uh, these guys were in a 1978 film called Stunt Rock that was directed by the Australian uh, director Brian Ch- Trenchard-Smith, which followed a stuntman going to the United States and getting tangled up with this, <laughs> basically going to the United States and getting involved with a... Uh, band who are essentially the precursors to Spinal Tap with <laughs> all of that entails. They've got a uh, lead, uh, so they've got a drummer that wears the mask, uh, which is like a studded sort of arrangement that would have been popularised by one of the guys from Samson around the same time. Mm. And they have literal theatrical rock. The uh, stage show is a wizard fighting a devil around the band as they perform over the <laughs> course of the night. Uh, and the, the film and the band 
both sort of were under underwhelmingly uh, underwhelmingly received at the time, but the soundtrack's just been re-released in a new edition with the film in a new high def uh, situation, and they bear checking out. I think the music's actually pretty bloody good. Uh, you know, of that era of um, sort of, I guess, uh, conceptual. Uh, well, I guess proto heavy metal. Yeah. Uh, you know, pre, you know, pre uh, Iron Maiden sort of stuff. Uh, and the ridiculous conceit of having a wizard and a devil on stage for the entire night throwing fireballs at each other. Uh, it has to be seen. <laughs> <laughs> They're kind of like precursors like Iron, Iron Maiden, like you said, and also Gore probably yes. as well with that, that type of um, stage show. Yeah, I actually love yeah. Performance, the performance art of it all is uh, really quite quite up there. I, I I think every band should have one mascot on stage. <laughs> uh, magic, I mean, these guys were doing you know put the lead singer into the coffin and cut him in half, sort of thing, and you know the, all the all the comics like more magic on stage in general. I think. <laughs> <laughs> I get Slipknot up there with the, you know, the the swords and all the rest. Yeah, uh, you know what? I wouldn't put that past them. I really wouldn't. Um, at this point, um, <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So my something listenable is the third studio album by Rob Zombie called Educated Horses. sort of self-described this entire album when it came out as a sort of like a, a listening party um uh it's it, it's quite it's kind of mixes his style with sort of like old school rock there's some really incredible tracks on there that reference uh you know like the occult obviously rock and roll horror of course um uh, yeah, he was also um, influenced by a lot of glam rock as well. So Slade, T-Rex, even yep. Gary Glitter. So, um, and it's the Lords of Salem, um, which I'm pretty sure the Lords of Salem was also was on. The skating documentary, skateboarding? Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure. Yep. I think it was in there as well. Um, that was nominated for a Grammy for Best Rock Best hard rock performance of 2008, and I feel really old now. Um. <laughs> well, in, in, in news just to hand, uh, the guitarist on this is John Five. Yeah, Marilyn Manson. Uh, Marilyn Manson and uh, Rob Halford at one stage and David Lee Roth and basically ticks all my boxes. Uh, he's joined Motley Crue today as the touring How's guitarist. Really? Yeah, yeah, now that Mick Mars has resigned. Wow. wow. <laughs> so that- there's some uh, up-to-date uh, Information for you? Yeah, right. He's in. Have you seen uh, Rob Zombie with John Five? Because I have, and he's fucking incredible. He's an awesome guitarist, and I mean, like he, you know, from I mean, he's been around for a good while now too. Like, you know, he recorded with uh, Halford in like two in '97, I think. Uh, They did an industrial rock project with Trent Reznor. 
called Toad. Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> yeah, it, it was. Don't, it was don't look at it on YouTube because like, it's really depressing seeing Rob Halford in a, at a you know, state fair with like 30 people watching uh, while well, he's totally committing. But uh, the album itself, I, I rate it as an oddity. Yeah. <laughs> in okay. that yeah. Weird, weird zone between Halford leaving Judas Priest, Halford coming out, and then Halford coming back to Judas Priest, you know, after the solo career sort of, you know, sputtered out in the early 2000s. Uh, but yeah, it's also got Tommy Lee on it. Didn't he also? He had like this, this, uh, this country heavy rock jaunt, didn't he? Like there was there was uh, this one album where it was like uh, it was like country influenced. Um, are you Halford or Zombie? Uh, no, no, um, uh, John Five. Yeah, we're just talking oh, right, about yeah, John Five I mean, at this point. <laughs> yep. yep. Uh, yeah, his uh, solo stuff is pretty diverse. As far as yeah, I've sort of dipped in and out, but yeah, he's definitely just not not just a shredder. Mm. Uh, he definitely goes all over the map. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. But anyways, um, uh, Rob Zombie, Educated Horses. I think it's a really under. I feel like every Rob Zombie album, which isn't Hell Billy Deluxe, is really underrated. <laughs> to be honest, this is, more, um, this is more diverse than I expected, and mm. I'm surprised I didn't actually hear it at the time. I'm not sure why I missed it when it came out originally. I think the press on it sucked because they just had his um, his face on the cover, sort of just yes. like looking to the side. I just don't think it was marketed very well because i mean everything else it had sort of all these other releases had like you know black exploitation influence yeah. and bloody porn influence and yeah. um, horror influence and this just had nothing except for the song titles so yeah yeah it looked like it was the sort of the pivot towards you know respectability that <laughs> in terms of the presentation <laughs> yeah that's it that's it um all right, uh, so let's do the verdicts. Uh, sure. So, Garth, out of my picks, were any of them your kind of weird? Uh, Oblivion Song and Werewolf by Night were both my kind of weird. And I probably will, not religiously, but I reckon I'll go back to the Educated Horses album too and give it a, another few cracks. Yeah, great. Yeah, and that- I enjoyed everything. Yeah, it's good to be introduced to some new things when you're sort of trapped at home with it with a four-year-old a lot of the time, so, <laughs> so which the recommends are great. <laughs> nice. Um, and out of your picks, uh, yeah, I think all of them were my kind of weird. I'm going to check out all of them. I'm going to give them all a fair go, um, especially uh, the Sorcery Band, um, definitely, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's a YouTube compilation of all their stuff that you can check out. That's uh, the, full, the full show from Stunt Rock, which is very fun. Uh, and I'll do a cross-podcast uh, plug. We are talking about Stunt Rock next week. I think it is on Big Squid with Justin Hamilton. So he can get the uh, both sides of that discussion. Yep, excellent, excellent. I think I might even go one step. Uh, I might, um, uh, you know, increase my bids and uh, uh, read the Armageddon rag whilst listening to the Sorcery yeah. album. Perfect. Yeah, you, you cannot <laughs> go wrong in that regard. <laughs> And so did you for like a you know angry uh, maybe a couple of couple of beers Friday night uh, state of the world situation. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we're gonna go on a quick sponsor break, and when we get when we come back, we're going to talk to Garth a bit more about his book called Homebrewed Vampire Bullets. All right, everyone, welcome back to My Kind of Weird. 
Uh, Garth, you've got a book coming out soon. Sure do. Uh, Homebrewed Vampire Bullets Volume 1 is the first in a series of a projected six novellas that I'm going to start releasing uh, on Halloween, uh, which by the time you hear this, it should be out. Uh, we, I have been developing the project for four or five years now. Uh, it started out as a very straightforward zombie story that has evolved into a what I call mongrel punk, uh, occult, Ozploitation rock and roll road novel um, <laughs> with a soundtrack by my friend John Shork, <laughs> which you can trigger with QR codes throughout the book. Uh, there's a lot going on. Uh, we've had a we're doing a live launch uh, on Halloween Eve with the black exploitation author Duvet Knox, which will be a lot of will have been a lot of fun, I assume, by the time this comes out. And it's getting good reviews. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. So. Um- uh, where did sort of the the let's take it let's tackle the synopsis. What's the synopsis of Homebrewed Vampire Bullets? Sure, uh, undead pub rocker Ed von Satan is mistakenly drafted to headline a festival called the Harvest, and he hits the road with a girl band called Babylon to get to the gig. And on the way, a whole lot of hijinks ensue. Uh, the gig is run by a self-help cult called the Arcadia Trust, who are actually the acolytes of a politician called Tank Crusader Excalibur, who is actually an emissary of a uh, sort of, I guess, elder god-style being called the World Blaster that's here to harvest the planet Earth for its natural resources. In a nutshell. <laughs> <laughs> And of course, lots of Aussie flavour throughout the entire book. Yeah, it uh, digs deeply into the vernacular, and uh, you're probably going to hear a few expressions that you might not have <laughs> come across recently as you go delve deeper into the book. Uh, but I've been finding it really gratifying uh, that people are starting to get into the the spirit of it and read it in the sort of lyrical sort of uh, Australian. Laconic, larrikin style that it's intended. Uh, audiences from you know the UK, uh, the US, around the traps. Everyone's getting into it, and uh, my initial fear that like our unique way of communicating might be a bit difficult to translate isn't really the case. I um to that I saw this interview with uh, Charlie Hunnam, the actor, the other day, and uh, for this uh, show he has coming out, um, where he has to play an Australian, and right. he, he was he said to the interviewer, Australian accents are really hard because all you you guys make sounds, but there's actually no words. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> nah. Uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm just I'm just preparing my reading for the launch, and it's yeah, it's always challenging to listen to yourself talk, isn't it? Uh, mm. I found when we we'd been in New Zealand for quite a few months this year, and the abject horror I felt when we got to the airport and I heard an Australian accent because <laughs> 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 I hadn't I'd heard all these lovely Kiwi you know rounded vowels for four or five months and. I'd forgotten what we sounded like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was sitting at the airport with my daughter. I was like, oh, God. Oh, that's us. That's where we're going. Oh, (laughs) shit. (laughs) Yeah, um, Kiwi accents sound like if Australian accents were classed up a bit. Oh, yeah, there's definitely, uh, yeah, there's a level of elocution that we don't aspire to, shall I say. Yeah, 
yeah, or yeah. isn't isn't a part of our education system. I think, uh, yeah, there's definitely a more pronounced uh, focus on yeah teaching the the Queen's English bizarrely in Kiwi schools. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, which uh, again makes no sense. But anyway, um, uh, <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, by the same token, yeah, Ava who just turned four, she can uh, she can sing fluently in uh, Taraya Maori after being there for four months. So that's an indictment of our uh, daycare system, kindergarten system too, because yeah, nice. <laughs> no such things come. Yeah. She, yeah, fluently just starts singing like, you know, Indigenous songs and it's like, wow, okay. <laughs> yeah, my kid uh, around that age was singing like he busted out a Spanish song once and it's just like, what the right. fuck is happening right now? <laughs> Why am I not multilingual? What's <laughs> Oh, because my my parents were racist. That's right. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) You you went to school in a small regional town where uh, English was barely a language. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So we've had a couple of comic creators on this podcast. We've had a couple of film people as well. Um, Book promotion seems like a terribly difficult beast. (laughs) Uh, it certainly is a case of seeing what sticks, <laughs> just throwing as much, you know, uh, out as you can and seeing her responds. And it's, you know, remarkable. Some some outlets come back immediately, um, you know, deeply shocked. At, you know, there's a couple of UK magazines that have leapt on board uh, and reviewed really nicely. Uh, on the other hand, you could contact community radio in a city you've lived for the last, you know, well, you, you know I lived in Melbourne for a long time and just zero interest in <laughs> So it's really just, yeah, internationally, usually you're probably more likely to get some interest, it seems. Mm. But, yeah, you know, promoting it independently is just a lot of, I guess, just being shameless (laughs) and just, you know, putting it out there and, you know, following up and following up and just making, you know, making yourself known and... You know, I, I guess having been in the comic scene and been around, you know, film and TV too, uh, a lot of creatives are sort of reticent to put their stuff out there. Mm. It's sort of like, you know, you create the work and then expect people to come to it. Uh, but, yeah, you just need to be relentless, I think. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I think there's an unwillingness for some creators to not treat their their creations as a business um, and that's that's sort of where they go, they come undone. It's- yeah, I mean, it's, you know, you put invested all that time, uh, you know, you need to invest the time at the other end to sort of get it into the marketplace and actually, you know, get eyeballs on it. Because, uh, you know, it's a, you know, as we know, comics especially take a hell of a long time to make. And that's, you know, why I stopped making comics. Because <laughs> of my <laughs> tediously slow illustration uh, speed. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm uh, picturing the the tears sort of trick, trickle down of our <laughs> listeners that still create comics. Sorry, um, guys, but yeah, writing writing prose is a lot faster, <laughs> and you can do it drunk. You can't draw drunk. Isn't that the irony, though? Um, the content of comics are traditionally shorter, and yet they take longer to make. Isn't that just bonkers? Hey, when you when you start to think, that's the irony. Well, this is the thing. I was um, studio mates with uh, a comic artist and illustrator Doug Holgate for a while, and watching just the you know the sheer level of investment in a page. <laughs> Mm. Which, you know, Doug's good, Doug's fast, like he'll knock out a page or two a day. Uh, but there's a level of dedication and, you know, craft there where you just like, that's a 12-hour day minimum mm. uh, to get those pages out. And you just have to lock into that zone and it only comes with like practice and time. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so let's uh, Duve Knox, Black exploitation writer. I think um, I read up on him a number yes. of months ago. Was he a hooker at one point? Uh, escort. Escort, <laughs> yep. hooker, uh, whatever you want to say. Yes, he was a, uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, the man's uh, had a, I won't speak on his behalf, you can Google him, but yeah, uh, there's, you know, Duvet performed with Bill Hicks in the 90s. Like he's oh, been around. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going nice, to try, nice. try to get some stories from him. Uh, but, yeah, and, uh, yeah, he's uh, turned to uh, writing in the last few years and, you know, his stuff is, you know, lyrical and gritty and really uh, unique. Uh, I think he's, yeah, one of the best I've seen lately. Uh, he's really worth checking out. When so when did you sort of uh, hook up with him? Uh, I was casting around the US indie lit scene because there seemed to be more of a community there <laughs> than I could mm-hmm. find, with, you know, especially during sort of the back half of the second year of COVID, uh, you know, not actually being able to do many meetups or, you know, meet write- other writers and people like that. Uh, I was sort of trolling Twitter and he had a book called The Soul Collector that he was re- he, that he's about to re-release at this launch that we're doing for Homebrewed as well. So I ordered Soul Collector. Uh, I was pretty vocal about it on social media um, and we sort of struck up a you know, conversation behind the scenes and have been mutually supportive. Uh, about six weeks ago, we realised we were both dropping our books on the same day and I just, sort of, I just said to him, well, why don't we just do a virtual launch, man? And he's like, yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, we got that together uh and in the mean on the meantime he is extremely prolific you know he's got about half a dozen projects coming <laughs> that's incredible uh, and he's got yeah his novel that came out earlier this year the pussy detective is you know right up there for one of the best things i've read this year mm. uh and yeah you should hunt it down it's pretty easy to get access to yeah um that's on booktopia folks so yeah check out the pussy detective um after you've read um homebrewed vampire diaries of course um (laughs) get out get out or get things in order um so where to from here for you so we are gonna well releasing on halloween and i will then turn around and start editing volume two which is sitting on my desk uh with a red pen ready to go uh hope to get uh, advanced reader copies of that out before Christmas. Yep. And we're going to follow this cycle up till the end of the first three volumes at the end of March. Uh, so I'm just going to spend the, the, the three-month increments essentially edit, arc it, and then promote, and then push through to the next one. Uh, John Shork will be back on board to write soundtracks. Uh, I The limited edition cover artist Simon Sherry, who did a beautiful job, but we have to see how Simon's schedule's looking because he's extremely in demand now. (laughs) So I was lucky to grab him when I did for the first cover, Uh, but he is deep in the bowels of designing gigantic dragon uh, maquettes and things for Ghostfire Games now. Mm. So, uh, But, yeah, we'll see what happens there. So, yeah, onwards until the end of March, and then I'm going to take the rest of 2023 to write to finish writing the second three volumes, which are all plotted out and about 20,000 words in. I think I will continue to write in this universe, even if it isn't necessarily along this plot line. I think, yeah, it's sort of, there's, we're having discussions around turning it into some sort of mockball sort of uh, role-playing scenario at some stage once it's all done. Awesome. That would, I I would not want to 
be the one coming up with that rule set, that's for sure. Um, <laughs> leave that to the pros. All right. Well, um, Garth, where can people find uh, Homebrewed Vampire Diaries and where can they follow you if they want to? I don't, I'm just saying, correct. Homebrewed Vampire Bullets, but Vampire Di- oh, Homebrewed Vampire Diaries does sound pretty fun. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> what, a, what a bizarre mashup that would be. Yeah. <laughs> The funny thing is, I haven't even I seen Vampire Diaries. <laughs> I think that's book seven to nine now. That's yeah, 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 yeah. Everything's that's available through mainstream. my Everything's available through my website, which is pastheamel.com uh, mm-hmm. forward slash shop for the digital and the print on demand links. And yeah, just doing it all independently because I can't stand Jeff Bezos. And, you know, if it's going to blow up, it's going to blow up anyway. So. <laughs> Leave a review on Goodreads. That's super handy if you've read it, uh, just to keep the word going out there. I think you'll really enjoy reading it. It's a lot of fun. (laughs) And I'll put all of that information in the show notes for everyone. All right, well, Garth, thank you very much for turning up on my kind of weird. Cheers, Anthony. Really, yeah, heaps of fun. Thanks, mate. (laughs) And that's been been it for us. See you guys next week for the next episode of My Kind of Weird. Ciao, everyone. Take it easy, guys. Tired of ads crashing your comedy podcast party? Good news. Ad-free listening on Amazon Music is included with your Prime membership. Just head to amazon.com slash ad-free comedy to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Enjoy thousands of ACAST shows ad-free for Prime subscribers. Some shows may have ads.